Hey, so good to welcome you to Fields Church Online, and we are so pleased that you've tuned in for this message. No matter what's going on in your world right now, we pray that you come away feeling encouraged by this message. You know, I tell you what, I am super, super, super excited to have Steve and Rachel Morstan in the house. Can we give them a warm welcome? They're going to tell you a bit about their story. They'll know more about that than I do. But, you know, they've been helping us as a church. They've got alongside Esther and myself the last year. And they've been coaching myself and Esther through transition and through doing leadership training with some of our leaders. And we're just so super excited that they're here and blessed that we have people of that kind of caliber coming here to help us as a church. They're church builders. I know they've helped church planting planting churches and encouraging pastors like myself. How many of you know pastors need encouraging? Three of you. Okay, that's good. They need, I, need, I need your prayers. I need your encouragement. Amen. Esther and I need your prayers. And they've been super amazing to Esther and I. They got alongside us and really encouraged and challenged us to take the church forward uh, 2022 and beyond. So without further ado, I'd like to ask Steve and Rachel to come up. If you'd like to come up, guys, give them a warm welcome this morning. Warm fields welcome. So I want to give Steve as much time as I can. If you want to use this and then we'll turn you. Great. Now you can tell I've done pretty well having our Marion a beautiful. Is that what some of you are thinking? How did he get her? Uh, Rachel was meant to preach this morning, actually, and uh, she's by far the best preacher of the two. But she's had a really bad cough, and so every minute or so she starts. So we. She gets too passionate, too excited, and so I'm actually going to bring the word. But I would, I would just love her to share just briefly with with you. So why don't you give her a welcome as she? Thank you. We feel so at home here already. <clears throat> I think having had the relationship with your pastors, they are the most heart, like their, their hearts are big for God, but obviously big for people. And they love you so much. Yeah. It's great to see pastors that have real, real deep, I think we all should, but uh, they really love their congregation and they really love the next generation that are coming through. And um, so, and of course, Stewie and Sarah um, that are in Norwich, we're really grateful to them um, for friendship and input. Nathan and Joy, I think they were here somewhere. So we already feel at home um, to be here this morning. And I want to encourage you, there was, a, there was a phrase in the song that we sang earlier, I see a generation rising up to take their place with selfless faith. And I think our faith in this day and age really does need to be selfless because we come through a season where it's all about me and protecting me, protecting my family and those that I love and my boundaries and all of this. But God is raising up a fearless generation that is going to take their place. When you take your place, it's the most protected, well-being, prospering place that you can be. And I talk a little bit about this in, in Soul Time, which is a, a book that I, and I've brought some with me, so um, Pastor Richard asked that I would mention it. Um, it's, it's primarily for women, but some of men have bought it too, and they've been really encouraged. People have got saved through this book, come back to God through this book. Um, even pastors that needed to stir up the dreams in their hearts again have read this and started to uh, do things that maybe they've put on the shelf, dreams that they've set aside. Because um, some of you are so busy giving out that you forgot to invest within. And it says in 3 John chapter 2, Beloved, I pray that you would prosper in all things 
and be in health just as your soul prospers. And so often we are busy with our spiritual selves and looking after our physical selves, but we can neglect our soul, which is our emotion, our mind, the, the dreams, the, the thing that makes you uniquely you. So this is it's divided into three sections, rest, replenish, and then recharge for the next season. So it's perfect for um, a Christmas gift. If you feel like you need a holiday, this will help you recharge internally. <laughs> I'm sure we could all put our hands up for that one. But I pray that you be blessed by the word today and you receive it into your heart as Steve brings. That's something that he's prepared with love. And I believe it's going to bring fruit that will remain here at Fields Church. Love you guys. Thank you, Rach. Your pastors are incredible. I love their, they have this infectious, contagious enthusiasm for the things of God, don't they? And uh, every time we're, we're on a Zoom call with them, we leave inspired that uh, they've done many decades of ministry and have never lost that first love and that passion. So we want to honor you, Richard Nest. In fact, why don't we show our appreciation for these guys? So who's glad to be in church today? Come on, give me a wave. Who'd rather be in church than at the dentist? Give me a wave, that's right. Who'd rather be in church than in prison? I wonder who would have been in prison if it wasn't for the church. Maybe that's some of you, you little tinkers. But uh, you're looking good, and it is an absolute honor to share God's Word with you. Why don't we stand and let's pray together. Let's all stand. Father, we take a moment to honor you and to honor your word. Lord, this is your church and these are your people. And these are your words to our hearts. And so we pray in these next few moments that by your spirit you'd breathe upon your word. Speak to our hearts. Change us, encourage us, and challenge us. And so we give you these next few moments. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may take your seats. I wonder, have you ever felt intimidated? Anyone ever felt intimidated? In 1982, I was 12 years of age, and I was brought up in an old farmhouse in County Durham, 350 years of age, and I would stand on the lawn in front of the farmhouse and I was learning to play golf and I would, I would hit the golf balls up into the field right in front of the house. I probably hit about 30 golf balls and then I went into the field to collect them. And I wasn't really aware of this, but in the field there was about 70 British Frisian black and white pedigree cows that my dad owned. And I was brought up around cows, so I was fairly used to them, but as I started picking up these golf balls, if any of you are from farming backgrounds, you probably know what happened next. Because gradually, the cows started to close in on me. And as I picked up the golf balls, all of a sudden, I looked up and I realized I was totally surrounded by 70 of these huge animals. Now, I was, I was scared. I'm only 12 years of age, and I'm thinking, what do I do? I looked back at where the gate was, 
and it seemed a long way away. So I started to walk slowly towards the gate. And of course, as I walked, guess what the cows did? They started to walk. So I'm thinking, this is not good. All right, so I started to run. And as I started to run, guess what the cows did? So as they started to run, you could start to hear this sound. And by this time, my heart was going a lot quicker. My, my palms were sweaty, and I just thought, I'm going to die. So I literally sprinted for that gate. Of course, what did the cows do? They start to sprint. Now, if you've ever looked at 70 pedigree cows sprinting, you'll see their udders are flying, there's milk, their tongues are flapping around, saliva's going everywhere. And honestly, the sound that they made. And I felt so scared. And I managed to make it to the gate. I jumped over the gate. I ran back to the farmhouse where my dad was having his coffee. And I'm like, Dad, Dad, I nearly died. The cows nearly killed me. And I'm, I'm blurting out this story. And my dad just looks at me. And he smiled. I thought, what's, what's wrong with you, Dad? They nearly killed me. And he's smiling. And then he said this to me. He said, Steve, they're more scared of you than you were of them. He said, if you'd have just stopped and faced up to them, they'd have backed away. And so I'm thinking, you know, my dad's lost the plot. He said, come on, I'll show you. So he takes me back to the gate. He says, go on, in you go. And so I, I love my dad. I trusted him. And so I walked back into the field, and of course, what happened? They surrounded me. I started to walk. They started to fall off. But this time, I stood my ground. And what happened is they stopped. I'm thinking, this is good. <laughs> Starting to feel a little bit more confident now. And, and so I, I looked at one of the cows, and I walked towards it. And guess what it did? It stepped back. And then I, now I think that I'm like the rock. So I'm just running into the cows and they're, they're backing off. I wonder how much of our lives we spend running from things that should be running from us. I wonder how much of our lives we spend feeling intimidated. Intimidation. Pastor Richard mentioned that scripture in Timothy. God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Maybe you're here this morning and you're feeling intimidated, you're feeling surrounded, you're feeling small and out of your depth. Maybe it's something going on in your family, something going on in your workplace. We all know what it is to feel small, intimidated, and inadequate. One person who knew how to stare into the eyeballs of intimidation was the Apostle Paul. And we're going to look at this incredible chapter in Romans 
chapter 8, and I'm going to zero in on an incredible word. One Greek word that has had a massive impact on my life. We're going to learn three principles, three ways to step up in victory. I want you to imagine the Olympic Games, and there's a podium there, and we're going to go and look at three points, three levels. Firstly, there's bronze. Come on, how, how many would like to get on the bronze podium? All right, but then we're going to step up to the silver, and then finally, come on, who loves a bit of gold? All right, so, so that's where we're going, three points, all from Romans chapter 8. It's a word in Greek that Paul invented. I spent one year of my life studying this word. And I discovered it never exists in any Greek literature. I spent hours in university libraries looking for this word, and it doesn't exist. Why? Because Paul invented it. He actually invented several Greek words. Now think about this. What concept was so powerful that none of the words currently in existence could adequately convey its true power. Would you like to know what the word is? All right, well, let's go with me on a journey. We're going to start in Romans 8.35. It said, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What a beautiful picture we heard earlier of a father that loves their child so much. Friend, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Maybe you're here and you don't think God loves you. Maybe you're new to this church. Your picture of God is not a God that lovingly holds. It's a God that's angry and judgmental and condemning and is looking at all the things that you've done wrong. Good news is God is not like that. I love the fact that Paul when he talks in this passage about the love of Christ, he goes on to say, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. See, the reality is in our lives, sometimes things aren't always easy, are they? It's not always plain sailing. It's not always being on a beautiful Australian beach with the sun beating down on us and the surf trundling in towards us. Life can be difficult. You only have to watch the news and it can fill your heart and mind with fear as it did for millions this weekend. But if we think we have it tough, I think sometimes we've got to remember what it was like in Bible days when Paul wrote this. He actually wrote this letter probably in AD 53, 54, And at the time, there was a bunch of 10,000 believers in the city of Rome. Now, Rome was the great imperial city. It was the greatest city that the world had ever seen. The Romans were known as the conquerors. Everywhere they went, they dominated. They won victory after victory. Rome was the first city to reach one million people in history. Question, do you know the next city to reach one million? in history, was actually London 1,800 years later. So Rome stood out in the whole world as the greatest empire that the world had ever seen. And within her walls was a few believers, numbering only 
thousand vastly outnumbered, misunderstood, and persecuted. Life wasn't easy for those. In fact, if we rewind the clock just a few years to AD 49, the emperor was named Claudius, and Claudius didn't like the believers, and so he issued the Claudian Edict, which meant that all believers, Jews and Christians, had to leave the city. They were cut off from their families, had to leave their businesses, and they were kicked out. That was A.D. 49, just before Romans was written. Just after Romans was written, we read of another emperor by the name of Nero, who blamed the believers for burning the city of Rome, and so as a result, he erected crucifixes, put Christians on the side of every road along the Apian Ray, where he crucified them and set fire to them at night to light up the streets of Rome. That's what it was like to be a believer in A.D. 54. Beforehand was Claudius's edict, afterwards was Nero's persecution. And after that followed wave after wave of persecution. And that's why Paul writes, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. I wonder how we would have responded if we lived in first century Rome. In verse 37 it comes to this, we approach this word and he says, yet in all these things. Now how would we expect them to respond? We'd expect this, in all these things we're offended, we're intimidated, we're victimized. But that's not what Paul writes. He says, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. We are more than conquerors. The very things that the Romans were known as, he says we're more. Now that word in, in English, it's actually five words, we are more than conquerors. In Greek, it's one. One single Greek word which Paul invented. It's actually made up of two different Greek words. Here it is. Hypernikomen. Hypernikomen. The word hyper. Some of you have got kids who are a bit hyper. <laughs> you know what this is like. If I was in Norwich, today I could go into a market, and there's three types of markets I could go to. I could go to Norwich Market, these little stalls. I could go into Tesco's, which is a supermarket, or I could go to Costco's, which is a hypermarket. It's above and beyond. Hyper means extreme. So it's hyper nikomen. Now some of you, is anyone wearing a pair of Nike trainers? Anyone wearing a pair of Nike trainers? Nobody wears Nike. Has, has Nike reached Ipswich? I'm just wondering. All right. But the word, the word Nike was a well-known word in, in Greek. There was a goddess Nike. And Nike literally means this. It means victory. Victory. Hyper Nikomen, hyper-victorious. You're not just moderately victorious. You're not just super-victorious. You are hyper-victorious. This is what Paul is saying to you. You are more than conquerors. You didn't, you didn't scrape through in a game against Norwich and beat them 1-0. You didn't beat them 5-0. You absolutely smashed them 10-0. Come on, that's got to put a smile on your face. We are more than conquerors, more than victorious. 
Some of you, you have a really hard time believing that about yourself. That's what Paul says. You are more than conquerors. So I'm going to give you three points. We're going to go bronze, silver, and gold. So if you're taking notes, here's bronze. Are you ready? You are more than you think you are. You are more than you think you are. The theologian Philip Esler, commentating on these verses, he said this, Paul serves as an entrepreneur of identity. To a group of believers, drowning in the tsunami waves of persecution, unleashed by the Roman Empire, he challenges them to see themselves as the God who is for them, who is with them. And he says just earlier, a couple of verses Previous, if God be for us, who can be against us? And for some of us, we've got to start to align our perspective with God's perspective. We're not fighting this battle on our own, we're fighting it in His strength. Some of you don't see yourself as a conqueror, you see yourself as conquered. Some of you don't see yourselves as a victor, you see yourself as a victim. And Jesus wants you to see yourself as he sees you. Start to see yourself as God sees you. I mean, lots of us are reading different translations of the Bible these days, so I'm going to give you the way that different translations interpret this word, hypernikamen. So in the New King James and the NIV, it says this, you are more than a conqueror. But if you're reading the New Living Translation, it says, overwhelming victory is yours. I love that. What's the name of the girl in the yellow top there? Anna. Overwhelming victory is yours. Was that your daughter I met earlier? She had a yellow one just like you. I love that. Twinsy. All right. Number three, the Lexham English Bible, it says, you prevail completely. Man, you might be in the middle of a battle, but how good is it that you're going to prevail completely? Overwhelming victory is yours. The New Century Version says you are completely victorious. And lastly, the Good News Bible. Come on, who loves a bit of good news? It says you have complete victory. Hypernicomia. You are more than conquerors. Maybe you're sitting here, you're saying, Steve, I don't feel very victorious. I love the story about one of the defining moments in our history as a nation. A story which was never told publicly until December 2017. It was told by the Queen Mother to Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill's grandson, Sir Nicholas Soane. And it was regarding the early years of World War II, when Britain was in a dark place. The Nazis had invaded most of Europe and it looked like at any moment they would spill over the channel and invade England. And week after week, Winston Churchill would go and meet with the king in Buckingham Palace. And week after week, he would report the latest German advances, more defeats for the Allied armies. And he'd always come out feeling discouraged and despairing because he wanted to give the king some good news. And finally, aided by the Russians in the east, the arrival of the Americans which stretched the Germans across two fronts. In the Egyptian desert, 
two great warriors, Montgomery and Rommel, locked horns in the epic battle of El Alamein. It was a key battle which turned the war. On the 4th of November, 1942, the Battle of El Alamein, the Allies won their first major victory, and it turned the tide in the war. And from there came the Alamein dispatch. It arrived at Downing Street. And that week, Churchill went into Buckingham Palace. His head was lifted up and his chest puffed back. He looked the king in the eyes and he said, Sir, I bring you victory. This morning to every man, woman, and young person, I want to tell you, Sir, woman, I give you victory. You don't have to win the victory. You don't have to initiate the victory. But we have the privilege of participating in the victory that has already been won for us by the Lord Jesus on the cross. Come on, who's glad for his victory? So number one, you're more than you think you are. You're more than a conqueror. Number two, you can do things you never thought you could do. I grew up in the northeast. Do we have any northerners here? Where are you from, Petal? You're from Sheffield, which for this lot... That is way, but for me it was southern. But anyway, that's good. Sheffield is good. Oh, now there's a proper northerner. Your fiancé, what's his name? What's Matt. Is he, is he treating you well? Good. On a scale of 0 to 10, what would you give Matt? All right, let's hear it from Matt, everyone. All right, Those northern lads, they know how to treat the ladies. I like that. I grew up in the northeast. It was a fu- it's a funny old place, and... Uh, my dad, um, I, we, we were very suspicious of education. And it might be because when my dad went to his graduation at the end of, it, of his primary school, all the kids were lined up and the head teacher went down the row and spoke over each of the kids and told them how awesome they were going to be. But when he came to my dad, he said, Morston, you'll bring untold misery on your family and walked along. It's literally what he said over him. And uh, so I think we were a little bit suspicious how many, how many people now hate that head teacher? All right. But I remember I had a crazy teacher. His name was Mr. Oswald. And if you forgot your pen, you would have to sit at the front, right in front of his desk. He would give you a Barbie. And you had to, as a boy, you had to write a love letter to Barbie, which he would read out at the end. All right. And, and if, if you didn't write it well enough, he would hit you. So I was a little bit suspicious of education. All right. But then I went to Bible college, and I was the first one in the history of my family to ever go to university. And so I went to a place called London Bible College or London School of Theology. I was 18 years of age. I was the youngest male in the whole college, and I felt quite intimidated and out of my depth. And I was asked to speak. I was a stand-in. Uh, for a, a guy that was a really famous theologian. He was, he was 94 years of age, and at the last minute, he couldn't make it. I'm not surprised at 94. And so I, got, I was 18 years of age. His name was Donald Guthrie. He wrote commentaries this thick. And I had to go and speak in the place of Donald Guthrie, and I felt totally out of my depth. And so I went to the vice principal. I'd prepared my message very quickly, and I was going to reference a piece of art. And I mentioned my message to the vice principal. I remember him looking down at me, Cambridge educated, 
And he looked at me and said, well, Mawson, you're not the kind of person that would use art in a sermon, are you? I remember feeling so small, feeling like I wasn't smart enough. I was already feeling out of my depth. And in that moment, a seed went into my mind, into my heart that said, you're not good enough. And how many know we allow things into our brains, into our hearts, and that seed, over many years, it grew and it germinated and it spread. And I believed that I'd gone as far as I could in education. I actually did really well at Bible college. Not only did I get my degree, I got a 2-1, an upper second in theology. So I did amazing, the first person in my family. But I, I believed I'd gone as far as I could. I wasn't smart. Some of you have believed things that have been spoken over your life. And it has limited and contained you for years. For me, it was 25 years. I felt I couldn't go any further. We happened to be living in Australia. We're in a church there. And there was a guy that was on staff there. His name was Dr. Van Shaw. He had a PhD. And his PhD in theology was on the book of Revelation. He was the smartest man I've ever met. We all used to call him Van Google because you could ask him anything and he'd give you the answer. And I'd meet him and Rachel would meet him in the corridor and we'd talk about the Word of God and because he read it fluently in, in Greek, I was intrigued and we'd have these discussions that would go on for half an hour when I should have been working. And he looked at me and he said, why haven't you done further study? And I would say, oh, well, I've got my bachelor's. And he said, but you should do a master's and, and I'd give him excuses. So I'm married and I've got two kids and, and I work for Hillsong and we, we work really hard and I just don't have the time. And one day he eyeballed me. He said, that's an excuse. You should be studying. And so I remember taking this huge step of faith where I enrolled to study for my master's in theology. I'd been out of education for 25 years. I had to go down for an intensive week where I had to study academic writing. Now, in Ferry Hill Comprehensive, where I went, we didn't even study grammar. I didn't know what a verb was. I didn't know what a noun was. For some reason, they'd gone through a phase in their academic life where they stopped teaching that to kids in the Northeast. <coughs> so I'm doing this, this intensive on academic writing, and I didn't have a clue. I had to Google in the middle of it, what is present tense, what is past tense. I literally didn't know how to write. And I remember in that first week, they said to us, your goal at the end of this master's degree is to write a paper that will be published in an academic journal. I remember thinking, you are having a laugh. I think if I even finish my thesis, it will be a miracle. It was 30,000 words. I'm thinking, how do you write 30,000 words? I did it part-time. I worked full-time. I studied part-time. I'd often be up into the early hours, writing, studying. But I ended up doing my thesis on a single Greek word called hyper-nikomen. You're more than a conqueror. Because for me, it wasn't just a Greek word. It was a life lesson. Because the word's got to become flesh in us. And I finished that thesis, and I passed, I got 83%. In fact, for the whole of my class, I got the award for academic excellence. I got the highest award. Not only that, my supervisor presented my paper at an academic conference. They loved it, and they asked if they could publish it. And there you go, 
my thesis was published alongside professors. You can do more than you think you can. Inside some of you, there are books. Inside some of you, there are ministries. There are businesses. The enemy is trying to convince you that you're not good enough. You'll never make it. He's trying to intimidate you. And the cows are surrounding you. Are you going to believe you are what they said you are? Or are you going to believe you are who God says you are? It's a battle in every heart and every mind. So number one, you can do. You're more than you think you are. Number two, you can do things you think you could never do. It says in Romans 8, 37, we are more than conquerors through him. There's the key. It's through him. This is not humanist humanism I'm teaching you, teaching you. This is not positive mental attitude. This is through him. It's through Jesus. It's him who made you. It's his gifts that he put within you. And it's he is the one that will release it. It's through him. In fact, if you look through scripture, you'll see this little phrase through. It says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about how good you are, it's all about how good He is. It's not about how powerful you are, it's about how powerful He is. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So there's the silver. Did you enjoy the silver? Now we're going to go for gold as I land this message. Number three, you are loved far more than you could ever know. It says, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Who loved us. Friend, you have no idea how much God loves you. Your mind cannot comprehend it. How high and how deep and how wide is his love for you. I worked for many years with very broken people working for the YMCA, working with teenagers. Most of them never knew the love of a father. So maybe you're in this room and you've never known what it is to be loved. Unconditional. I saw how broken people can be when they never experience the love that they were intended to know. And so when I, Rach and I, we had two beautiful girls, Melody and Mercy. Melody is in Australia. We haven't been able to see her for two years. Locked down in Australia, and, but we're going to see her soon. And, and I've got another little girl whose name is Mercy. She's now 16, going on 25. And... <laughs> But when, she, when my girls were really small, in those early years, I knew that I had to do everything I could for them to know just how much I loved them. Because every girl needs to know the love of a father. And so I remember Rach would always read and pray with them, then I'd go in and give them a kiss, and I'd invent ways to show them how much I loved them. And one of the ones that I'd... I'd do is I'd say, Daddy will always love you. Five words. And then I'd press my hand on their back. I'd say, Daddy will always love you. 
then sometimes I wouldn't even have to say it. Just put my hand on the back. As I pressed with each finger, they would say, Daddy will always love you. And some of you, God wants to gently lay his hand upon you and say to you, I've always loved you. I'm loving you right now. And I will always love you. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter what's been done to you. You say, Steve, you don't know what I've done. No, I don't. But you don't know what he's done for you. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. When we're in Brisbane, an amazing girl in our church. Her name was Jacinta. And Jacinta came from a really rough background. She found Jesus and it transformed her. And she used to work as a cleaner in the brothels of Brisbane. And she cleaned the bathrooms, Brisbane's brothels. There was a girl there. She was a pastor's daughter. At 18 years of age, she left her father's house. She came to London, got in the party scene, got hooked on drugs, and she was human trafficked to Fortitude Valley in Brisbane, Australia. Her dad was a pastor of a great church. Didn't even know that for seven years his daughter was living in Brisbane, Brisbane as a prostitute. And her life had become an absolute mess. And this girl, Jacinta, would clean the bathrooms of Brisbane's brothels. And once a year, we'd have a conference in Australia called Colour, the Colour Sisterhood, which was all about placing worth and value on women. And our church would send out a brochure. It was a big, beautiful brochure with the stories of women's lives who'd been transformed. And Jacinta didn't have much money, but she wanted to make a difference with these girls. And so here's what she did was she cut out the pages of the color brochure. And she would take them into the bathroom and she would sellotape them on the walls of the bathrooms in Brisbane's brothels. And this young girl, prostitute far away from her father's house. She would read these stories and she got angry. She got angry with Jacinda. She, she said, you put them there, didn't you? She said, yes. She said, do you really think that God can love someone like me? She said, he loves you. Why don't you come to church with me? She came to church and she actually responded in a message like this. I happened to be preaching that day and she, she responded and she remembered the God that she'd heard about growing up and she made a decision to give her life back to God. And things started to change. She decided she was going to stop that lifestyle. She stopped being a prostitute. But one of her, one of the men she'd met just kept hassling her, kept hassling her. Kept, kept texting her, hey, I want to be with you. And so 
In a moment of weakness, she decided to meet him. She got on the bus to meet this client. It's an amazing story, she said. When I was on the bus, the, the clean preacher, me, got on the bus and sat next to her. Now, it wasn't me, but she was convinced it was me. She thought, I can't do this. And she got off the bus and went home. And never one more time saw another client, another man. And she came back to church, but she was still wrestling. You know, sometimes when people have been in lifestyles like this, it's not a one-off decision. That's a first step. But there are many other steps. And we need to be patient and gracious with people. Come on, it took all of us a long time to get right, didn't it? Got to trust and have some grace for people. She came to church. and In Brisbane, it's nice because at night it's really warm. And we would have a, a pizza oven out the back of the church. And after church, we'd all get pizza. And this particular service, a guy called Tim Andrew, another one of our pastors, had, he'd done the offering message. And afterwards, he went and bought a pizza, piece of pizza. And he ate a couple of bits. And then here's what he did. He simply went around offering the rest of the pizza to people. And he came up to this girl. And he just freely offered her a piece of pizza. And in that moment, something broke. For seven years, men had treated her as an object and used her body. But in this moment, a man, a man comes and, as an act of generosity, places some value on her. And she remembers growing up in her father's house where men treated her with dignity and worth. And that was the moment she decided I need to go back to my father's house. I need to make things right and start a brand new life. And she did. It was the simple act of somebody giving her a piece of pizza. You know, we can't do everything, but we can all do something. We can always all give a little something this Christmas that says, I value you. I'm thinking of you. Last thing we heard, she was back in a Hillsong church in America. The father showed such grace towards her. She enrolled in college. She's got a job now and she's doing fantastic. Her life was transformed from the brothels of Brisbane. God never stopped loving her. And friend, God has never stopped loving you. It doesn't matter what you've done doesn't matter how you've been treated. God loves you. He loves you more than you ever imagined. Maybe as the team can come back up, maybe if you can, can you just play the keys for me for a moment? She's looking really nervous. Just play. It's all right. Isn't she lovely? Come on, give her a round of applause. <laughs> Look, she's got the long way. <laughs> I love it. But I want to just take a moment before I hand back to Pastor Richard. I want to ask you about your heart, your relationship with God. Maybe you're here and you've never known what it is to have a relationship with God. Maybe this is all brand new. This is the first time. You know what? That's okay. Or maybe you've been walking with God. But if you're really honest, you've drifted away. Gone and done your own thing. 
And right now you're not in a right relationship with God. But here's the good news. He still loves you. Because he's always loved you. And he always will love you. And he's still there for you. And today can be the day when you come back to your father's house. Know and experience his love. So I would love to pray a simple but a powerful prayer. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to call you forward. But if you're not in a right relationship with God, you say, Steve, I need to get right with him. I need to receive his love. And I would consider it the greatest privilege to pray for you. To pray for you. And this is just that first step on this new journey. So whether this is for the first time or whether today you need to come home, this is a prayer that you can make. So I'm going to ask everyone, just close your eyes. This is a moment between you and God. Friend, maybe your heart's beating a little quicker. That's okay. It's because he's here and he loves you. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to count to three. And if you say, Steve, I need to get right with God. Would you pray for me? Then when I count to three, I'm going to ask you simply to slip up your hand. Just high enough and long enough for me to see it. Then you can put it straight back down and we're all going to pray. God loves you, friend. He's here for you. If you want to get right with God, when I count to three, just slip up your hand. Are you ready? One, two, three. That's it. Just slip it up. Thank you. Thank you. Beautiful. You can pop it back down. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else want to get right with God? Beautiful. Come on. Why don't you all repeat this prayer after me? Dear Jesus, thank you for your love that you died for me to cleanse me, to give me a new start. Would you come into my heart? Would you forgive me of my sin? I choose to follow you from this moment on. In Jesus' name, amen. In just a moment, Pastor Richard will give you some instruction if you raised your hand, but I'd like to speak to anyone who, you know, maybe that story about Jacinta, it stirred you. It stirred you because you know God has put inside your heart a desire to, to reach people and to help people. To see God's kingdom come through you. It might be in your workplace. It might be in your family. It might be in the church. But you know that God has put a desire to reach people. You say, you know what, Steve, this Christmas I'm going to do whatever I can to reach the people in my world. Come on, if that's you, give me a wave. I'd love to pray for you. In fact, why don't we all stand together? Let's all stand. Lots of you give me away. So I'm just going to pray over you and then hand back Pastor Richard. Come on, why don't we all put up our hands? Jesus, we want to thank you for this Christmas season when your word became flesh. Lord, our world is lost and it's broken and it needs some good news. And you choose to work to our humanity, our humility. 
And I pray for every person, Lord, that you would stir us up to not be intimidated, but to have that spirit of power and love and a sound mind. When at other times we've stepped back, God, would you help us to step up and to be a mouthpiece to the broken and to the hurting. Would your kingdom come and your will be done through our lives. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Amen.